I'm Laura Vinroot Pool of Capital, and this is What We Wore. Martin Grant is an Australian-born fashion designer based in Paris. Starting his career at age 16, Martin's diverse training in sculpture and tailoring has created a collection distinctly his own. Martin's humble, quiet nature and refined designs are an inspiring demonstration of authenticity in the fashion industry. I'm actually trying to remember when we first met because, I mean, it was very early on. I feel like it was my first trip to Paris to, to buy the collections. Um, I can't remember exactly. Do you remember what date that was, your first trip? It was right after September 11th, so 2001. Um, yeah, so I think that you came when I still had the store in the Rue de Vizier. Yes, exactly. That's it. Because I walked by the store and I just walked in and I was like, these are seriously the most mind-blowingly beautiful clothes I've ever seen in my entire life. And I think you were there maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite, quite possible. Because I used to have, although at that point, I used to have my office in the back of the shop. Um, but I think at that point, I'd actually moved the, off- the, sh- the office out to another location, but I was always in and out of the shop. And also, yeah. I lived above the shop, so it was a very, <laughs> the whole thing was a very small, <laughs> small operation at that point. W- was it only for private appointments, or could you walk in? I can't, I think I just walked in, but. No, it, it was actually operating as a boutique, and then during the fashion weeks, we would, we'd kind of close it, um, so that we'd mm. take private appointments with, with buyers. Right. Um, but so we were kind of juggling because we didn't have enough space, really. I think soon after then, I think we may have moved out to another space around the corner in the Rue Vieille du I remember that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I want to tell you, I had a, a darling rep of Jane Mail, if you remember Jane Mail, yeah. who was so lovely herself. And her name was Mel. And I'm still friends with her and she because she has a, a son who's the same age as my daughter, Australian. And I several times must have had my mail appointment right before my Martin Grant appointment. And she would go bananas. And she would just be like, oh, my God, you're seeing the real Martin Grant? Are you serious, Martin Grant? And I would say, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really nice. I don't, like, I don't understand. And she said, you don't, you know, you really don't understand. He's He is so famous. I cannot believe you're getting to have an appointment with him. And I was like, oh, my God, really? I don't, <laughs> he seems really, he seems really, you know, kind of chilled out and unassuming. I can't, I didn't know he was that famous. <laughs> she must be from Melbourne. Um, Oh, maybe, oh, yeah, maybe it's the famous Australian thing, because otherwise I don't remember being that famous myself. She is probably our age, too, so maybe it was when you had your breakthrough. So tell me about that. Okay, so I started, obviously, I'm from Australia. I'm from yeah. Australia, and that's where I started my career. I started very, very young, when I was about 15. Actually, I started sewing way before then, because my grandmother taught me how to sew. Um, I think that's where the initial interest in clothing more than fashion. And did she live nearby? Did you spend afternoons at her house? Yeah, we were, we were very close. We used to take it in. I, my sister and I, we used to take it in turns to go and stay with her. So each weekend, mm-hmm. we'd go and spend the whole weekend with her. And she lived very close by. So we'd see her as often yeah. as possible. And she was fantastic. She was like the perfect grandma where she did. She was a brilliant cook, brilliant gardener, and she was a fantastic seamstress. She'd actually worked as a seamstress when she was younger and then when she had kids she stopped working but um she continued to do orders for private clients so friends of hers and she'd make you know from at that time there were 
vogue patterns and buttery patterns. Mm. And so she'd make these dresses for friends. And so I was constantly around this and fascinated by it. And she was always just working out of her out of her living room. Um, she yeah. had a, she actually had a sewing machine in her bedroom. Um, and it was one of those foot pedal sewing machines. So that's wow. that's how I learned at the very beginning. So that was very early on. Huh. Um, then at about 15, 16, I actually moved out of home and moved into the city. So we, I, we lived in the suburbs. So we yeah. moved into Central City. And that's where I started to meet, well, I started going out to nightclubs and meeting people <laughs> <laughs> that were involved in arts, fashion, architecture, all of those different mediums, and just became part of the scene in Melbourne. That's how I was actually lucky enough to meet a woman who worked in the nightclub. She also happened to be a very fantastic couturier. And when I say couturier, she was doing real couture garments. Um, she was Greek and she was she's probably about, I don't know, 15 years older than me. And so she took me under her wing and gave me a space in her studio that she had, which was also in the centre of Melbourne. So that was my first kind of breakthrough of you know, having my space to work in and being with somebody who already knew what she was doing. So I could learn a lot from her as well. Was it evening gowns? I mean, what sort of... She was doing almost purely evening gowns, but I started doing more, well, a mix, but I, uh, quite a lot of day wear as well. I mean, we'd, I'd get private clients and so often it would be for things like debutantes balls or um, <laughs> it was the 80s. So also it was quite... People were dressing up, you know, people were dressing up to go out to nightclubs. So I was helping make outfits for them, but then also concentrating on doing more day wear as well. What were your references? Your clothes now are so consistently beautiful, but you definitely have a muse, I think, in your head. As as long as I've known you, twenty years, it, it feels like the same muse, and it it's you're you know it's it's rare in fashion. You're so so consistent, like you can tell your pieces from a mile away. Look, I think at the time I had several muses, and as I said, it was the eighties, and so mm-hmm. I was looking at people like Debbie Harry, you know the. There was Marilyn Monroe was always an initial one and then Debbie Harry. And Mm -hmm. there was that whole kind of music scene going on. But one of the first books that I was given was a book on Dior. And so that, I still have this book. And it's um, that, I think, was what really kind of informed me. It was that absolute perfection of Dior in the 1950s, particularly. And I think that from that, that sort of, I guess that really, um, that's where it, that's where it came from. And then that, I think I worked also through, in the early years, through different muses, but then after a certain point, I really found my style. Um, and then that, from that point, hasn't really changed. Like since probably about 1988 or something, there's a style that yeah. you really see coming through. And it's a, it's a mixture of things from Balenciaga, Dior. I mean, they're probably the two main inspirations that I've had. What is the climate like in Melbourne? Because I think the other thing about you that is so clear is your your love of fabrics. And I mean, are, are the things that you make now, can you wear them in Melbourne? Yeah, Mel- Melbourne's the most southern point of Australia. So it's the co- it's the coldest. It has the coldest wind. Ah. Um, but I've always said that that's why I moved to Europe, because I love making coats so much. 
Cats. I had to, to be in a cold <laughs> climate so that my business would work. But um, <laughs> Melbourne's, Melbourne's definitely much more of a European climate than the north of Australia. Even Sydney is a much warmer climate. Um, and I think huh. that that really comes out in the clothing as well. There was, there was always a, a sort of slightly um, dressed, wintry feel. And then from the nightclub, then what? So then uh, after sharing the studio with the, this friend, I got my own studio and started my own label. And it took off quite quickly. I had my first article in Australian Vogue when I was 18, I think. And I already had quite a strong following. I was completely naive and useless at business. So I kind of <laughs> was fumbling along, but it was, yeah, it was quite successful. After doing that for about, I don't know, two or three years, I actually decided to pull back a little bit um, because it was so, so full on and it was really taking, you know, sort of taking on a whole new dimension. And so I decided that it was time to take a break from it and went back to study, actually to study art um, at the art school in, in Melbourne and then went on to study sculpture. So I continued to do the fashion, but much more just with private clients. And um, I really kind of pulled back on it because I just wanted to be sure that, you know, it started at such an early age. I wanted to be sure that that's really what I wanted to do. Was the collection called Martin Grant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What did your grandmother think and your your parents? Oh, that, well, at first they were a little bit stupid. <laughs> as you can imagine a 16-year-old child setting up their own business. <laughs> When they saw that there was that it was actually quite successful, no, they were really, really proud, really happy. And how did you fund it? It was very much just, you know, I'd make one dress, I'd sell it. That would then yeah. give me enough money to buy fabric to make two dresses. So it was really just a very natural progression like that. What was it like going back to study sculpture? I bet it was actually really helpful. It was actually fantastic. And sculpture is not what I would have thought that I would have gone towards, but it really became clear to me that obviously fashion is a type of sculpture. You know, it's working with the, the human body and it's really about moulding and structure. And, and so that, when I started working in sculpture, it was kind of obvious to me and to the teachers that I was quite comfortable in those even in other mediums, whether it be clay or metal or something, I was yeah. very comfortable with this structure. And so it actually helped me to look at fashion differently. You know, it actually made me understand it better and understand what interested me more in fashion. And I think that that's what really has always come through in my clothing is that it can be very, very simple, but it's about the cut. It's about the simplicity and the, the structure of a garment that really interests me. You finished school and went straight into back to fashion? I didn't actually finish. <laughs> I've, always, <laughs> I've always kind of moved on things quite quickly. <laughs> I, so I actually left halfway through the course and decided that it was time to travel. And that's when I headed to London at first, really with no particular idea, but just wanting to explore and see what was, what was out there. And so I moved to London and started working because obviously I needed to earn money. Started working for a small label in Soho. And with that label, I actually, they'd go to Paris every every season to show their collection. And so I went with them to show the collection um, that first time. So that's the first time I'd been back to Paris since I was a kid. And obviously loved it and met a woman there who was, uh, she'd been working for Dior menswear 
and she was starting her own collection. So she was looking for somebody to help her with the technical side. So she asked if I was interested in coming to work for her. So I grabbed the chance and said yes. So quickly packed up my bags in London and moved to Paris. Being not self-taught, but not being taught in a fashion school, and I don't even know if that was a thing then or if that was an opportunity in Australia, but did you always feel confident that you knew not all the things, but that you were confident and, and could support her? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I th- I pretty much saw it. As if I was learning as I went along, um, but the technical side had always really interested me. So I was actually... I'm actually good at sewing and I'm good at pattern making. And for me, the pattern making is the most important thing because there's the shape and the structure and the fall of the garment. Um, so I was just kind of learning as I went along. I, I quite enjoyed doing it that way rather than learning at a fashion college where, you know, you're learning something very flat almost. You know, I was just immediately working in a very three-dimensional way, in a very organic yeah. kind of way and discovering how things worked. And all, all right from the beginning, I'd also look at vintage clothing and even pull them apart to see how they were made. And that's that's really how I learned. And how long did you work with her? I think it was about a year. It wasn't. It didn't last, yeah. it didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah. She um she ended up closing her business quite quickly, and so then I had to decide what to do because I wanted to still stay in Paris. I went back to London yeah. for a short period to work with the previous label, and then came back to Paris and that's when I started. I'd met a girl who's an Australian girl, who's an artist, and she had a studio. And so she, we decided to, that we'd start working together and that I would teach her how to sew. And that oh, wow. was this kind of mutual thing. So we started a label at first, which was called Bitter and Twisted. And <laughs> <laughs> we were using clothing from, that we'd find in the flea markets or yeah. shops. And we'd modify them and stitch them together because we didn't have any money. So we were just kind of yeah. making things up. So we'd work. And where would you sell them? Clients, private clients. And then one store in Melbourne, uh, no, Sydney, uh, they actually came and saw the collection. So we started selling to them. Um, but then on the side of that, I started also redoing my own collection because this was a little collaborative thing that we did, which was kind of yeah. a bit more artistic. But on the side, I was starting to do my own collection again and working again with private clients. So I just, that's how I really built up the Paris business was from nothing. And again, make one dress, make two dresses, yeah. make three dresses. Until I had a- with private clients, did you have a little collection or was it more about their lifestyle and sort of what they needed? They had a an event to go to? A little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I'd, I started to put together a collection, but people would come to me for events or for weddings or for, and so then I'd design something specifically for them. Um, but again, it was just that the means to an end of then having the finance to put together a whole collection. So yeah. about, I can't remember the first collection I did. It was probably in about 90, 93 or 94. And that's when I really uh-huh. put together a collection and we did a show in Paris, our first show, which was in the La Chaise au Plafond, which is a cafe that we used to go mm-hmm. every morning. And so the, oh, we knew the owner and so he gave us the cafe. And so we had the show was actually in the street and walking into the cafe and the audience was in the cafe. And it was well received. That was the first that Andre Leontali came to, right? No, actually, that was he didn't come to that one. He came to the next one. Okay. 
so yeah, that was this. This was just my little first tryout show. And <laughs> we, got a, we got a couple of clients from it. We got a, a couple of Japanese clients and Australian clients. But um, no, the real breakthrough is when I met Andre. That's for sure. Is Mustafa with you at this time, yeah. or is this you handling everything yourself? No, I mean, handling everything myself. <laughs> So how did you even know? It was sort of like friend of a friend and they said, I'm going to, you know. Actually, I met Andre through, it was my boyfriend at the time, who was a journalist. Mm -hmm. And he'd met Andre and so he introduced me. And Andre came just to look at what I was doing. I'd actually opened the shop at that point. So we'd just opened the shop. So it must have been 95, something like that. And so he came and had a look and he was just very, very encouraging. I mean, I'm sure he, he, I mean, the person with the most encyclopedic memory of all time of fashion, he must have lost his mind at your clothes. Yeah, well, he, he could obviously, <laughs> he could obviously see, see that something was budding there. And yeah, and he, just re, he just really encouraged me and pushed and then pushed for me to do a show because I was a bit nervous about really launching something. And so he really encouraged me to, to do my first show like a proper show with journalists and and it was actually in the shop, which was it was like the size of a matchbox, this tiny little <laughs> shop in the Murray. And he said that he would invite everybody. All I had to do was get the clothes ready, get the models done, and you know, he'd he'd look after yeah. the rest. So it was actually this hilarious situation where the clothing was in the shop on hangings. There were about 10 people that he invited, all editors from top magazines, American editors, fantastic. He would go through the collection and select things from the rack and give them to us. <laughs> We'd put them on the model and then she would come out and model the clothing. So you can imagine <laughs> that this was absolute hilarity because he he was, it was a performance really. It was an Andre. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that was very successful. And then we decided to do a second one in the afternoon. So then he invited other people for that and he invited, without telling me, Naomi Campbell. So oh my God. Yeah, so this time we decided <laughs> we would actually do it more like catwalk. So we'd set up a runway and anyway, she turned up once the show was actually already going, she pulled up in a car, came straight through in the back. We had to dress her and then she did two or three passages of it. And again, this is in this tiny, tiny little shop in the Murray. It was hilarious. And what did you put her in? Were you were you absolutely panicked or did you know exactly the right thing to put her in? Just before she arrived, he said, okay, Naomi's coming. And he said, you should put her in this, this and this. So it was, he knew exactly what I should put her in. And of course, that are the key, the key pieces. A red. Oh, my God. All, all red. All red? Mm. Wow. Do you have photos of it? Yeah, I do. Not not very good photos, but I've got photos. Wow. Oh, I would love to see that. Wow. And then you're off. I mean, you're off and running. Yeah, yeah that really launched it the next morning. Well, there were all of the journalists already that were in the show who loved it. And the next morning when I came down to the shop, there was Julie Gilhart's card pushed under the door. So the artistic director of findings. <laughs> and that was my first appointment. And... Wow. Bought pretty much the whole collection. So that was that really launched. That's incredible. And later on, you, I mean, for for years and years, you designed their private label. Yeah, yeah. But that was um, that was even even more of a fantastic meeting. Was that it started off with them buying my collection, and then they asked me to come and work for them, and I worked for them for about ten years. 
they're some of my favorite pieces and, and knowing that you designed them makes me so happy too. <laughs> Will there ever be anything like that again, you think? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. It, a, it was a very particular mix of fantastic people that put Barneys together. It was fantastic personalities and yeah, it was just a great mix. So for a big department store, that's pretty hard to that's pretty hard to do, I think. You could really see the clothes so well. Like, I don't know if it was something about the architecture and the lighting, but there was, the, everything felt really, there was a lot of clarity. Like you, you know, it wasn't sort of jammed into a corner that you could do like a hundred million things. You, you really, oh, exactly. I don't know, you, you felt like you could experience each piece. Yeah, well, I think that that, again, that came from personalities, people like Judy Collinson, who had such vision, not just for fashion, but for accessories, but also for interiors and for lighting and all of those things were really, really important, and she knew that. And there are other people working there as well who had the same kind of vision. But yeah, it really, it really came down to those people. I think. Once you were in Paris, and once you were started, was it was it always Paris? I mean, you you were never leaving. No, 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 no. Never thought about it. I mean, that was I moved there. That was thirty thirty two years ago or something. And yeah, that's where I made my life and my business, and never thought twice about. It about moving do you still until now. but you still feel australian so until now <laughs> then you're in the south of france and you can come on the weekends to paris but do you still feel australian are there things that you that that make you different yeah definitely and i i, I like mm, the australian qualities that i have i think particularly after 30 years of living with parisians i'm quite proud not to really be one <laughs> you're very very warm and friendly <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so that's that's i think it's been an advantage actually to me to be um australian because i think it is australians do tend to be quite warm and friendly and yeah. much more open than french people would be and also i think yeah. having there's a certain naivety that i had um in arriving in paris you know completely green it was actually an advantage because I think a lot of French people, they're so bogged down in their own history that they're terrified. At the time, my friends, French friends, they'd say, you're crazy. What do you think you're doing? Oh, starting a business on your own. It's just complete craziness. So it actually worked to my advantage to be a bit a bit naive. One of the first shows that you invited me to was at a little chapel in the Marais. And I think you seated me right next to Lee Radsville. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and it was so, it was like the most incredible thing. But I, I think that what was incredible about it was that every single piece in your collection looked like her. And I, and, and I could see that you probably did design her entire wardrobe and she, she would never have to see another designer. It, you had offered everything. Um, how influential were, have your clients been on your work? Very much so. Very much so. So, I mean, Lee was a particular, you know, very particular case because she's so incredible and iconic um Mm -hmm. and so so known for her fashion style and well style in general but all through my career I've been surrounded by many many women and very different personalities and that really does it does um influence you and 
yeah. you know, it's when I'm designing things, I'll think, oh, is this what, you know, is this for Liz or is this for Isabel or is this for Lee? Or, you know, I kind of think specifically of those because they're different types of people. Yeah. Yeah. Types of things. And so, yeah, they're really very important. Are there things that you learned from Lee that you didn't know about clothes before? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know you were a close friend, so you probably learned a lot about just life from her. But <laughs> yeah. well, I learned a lot from Lee, but not necessarily about fashion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but was she very opinionated? Yeah, 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 of course. Was she just, yeah. she, it was more that she wouldn't give me advice, but if she didn't like it, she would tell you in a second. She'd just go, no, that's not for me. No, no, no. I don't know what you're doing that for. That's, you know, move <laughs> move on kind of thing, which is fantastic. I actually love that yeah. kind of very direct, very, very specific. But yeah. she, yeah, she kind of couldn't believe when she first came to me because Andre Leontale, again, he introduced us. And she'd seen a jacket that I'd done, a le- leather jacket that she'd seen in Barney's, but they didn't have her signs. And so she came to see me in Paris and I said, no problem. I can make it for you. And so I had it made for her like in three days or something. And she was just astounded that this was possible. So then of course she was completely (laughs) addicted. And I made that jacket in about, I don't know, six different colors and (laughs) churning the match. Now I should call and she said, I'd like a white one. Oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> was it sort of like a jean jacket? No, it was more, it was actually very fitted. I called it the um, scribe. It was a little bit like a fencing jacket. So very fitted. Oh, yeah. And it had little petals around the bottom of it, a, a peplum. Yes. Yeah. And I'd originally done it in black leather, and then I did it for her in red suede, white leather, oh, silver leather. <laughs> I saw her pretty soon before she died um with her with her nurse actually in the is it Galliani the bookstore yeah she was looking through her book but she was decked mm. decked decked in all of your clothes and I think she was in all ivory mm. and she was showing the nurse <laughs> he was showing her you know just going through the book and saying oh my god this is that time when I was with we were with Mick and we were you know at the beach and <laughs> going through and I sort of just I, I really like parked myself and sat down kind of near her just to listen to her narrate the book to the nurse I was like <laughs> Oh my God, she was really something. Oh, she was. She was. A, she was a character. What's the most important thing to you at this point? I mean, how have things changed since pandemic and all sorts of things? For me, the pandemic was it was a revelation of something that I think I was heading towards already about pairing things back, and so mm-hmm. that I've really taken advantage of these last few years to bring things back to the essentials and to not be overproducing and not to be, you know, really just to get to the essential of everything. So I've actually started um, re-editing old styles. So even going back as far as some of them, 1996. And it's quite interesting because the styles still really hold up and it's a question of changing the fabrics and the colours. And so it's been a really quite a nice exercise in working in fashion in a different way rather than every... We'd gotten to such a frenetic point of four collections per year and created yeah. whole new collections each time. It was an enormous amount of work. And so it's been really nice to kind of step back from that, take it back to two collections a year. 
I think there's so much out there that's there's so much available that I don't need to be producing huge amounts. You know, you just need to produce the right pieces. The best. Yeah. You were chosen to be featured in the National Gallery of, of Victoria's permanent collection. What was that like? That's been an ongoing... They've been collecting my work since the 80s, actually. And so they had already a small collection of their own private collection. Um, and then they invited me to do a show, not really retrospective, but kind of. This was maybe 10 years ago. And then actually just recently, I went through all of my archives because I'd kept everything. And I've actually donated about 250 pieces to them wow. for the permanent collection. And so there is a show coming up in 2025, another show, which will be a bigger very you know very much a retrospective um so no they've been fantastic and it's a fantastic gallery and it's my hometown was it when you were pulling from the archives and i guess you were working with them too about what they would want was it was it clear to you what was important and what should go and what shouldn't yeah it was pretty it was pretty clear um i don't know if you remember maud who worked for me for many many years yeah in press and she was always my best editor you know, she would. She was a bit like Lee, where if I did something, she'd say, no, not good. So <laughs> she, I went through the whole thing with her, and I mean, it was interesting going back through so many collections. Yeah. And there were certainly pieces there that I was embarrassed about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that, was, that was an easy push. But no, there was definite <laughs> iconic pieces that, you know, we immediately flashed on and the National Gallery of Victoria also, I mean, they took, uh, we worked on it with them, but they really yeah. took our lead on which were the, the key pieces from each collection. And Maud had worked with me on most of these collections, so she knew, knew it very, very well. Tell me about Qantas. Almost 12 years ago, they came to me and asked, they asked, I think, 10 different Australian designers um, to put in a proposal to redo the uniform for the, you know, to the Australian airline. And so I have always loved a uniform. And as yeah. knowing me, <laughs> I only wear navy and pretty much the same pair of pants, same yeah. t-shirt all the time. So it was a fantastic opportunity. And I put together a collection and they very quickly chose me as the one to design it. So it's, that was a that was a fantastic um experience because you were dealing with so many people as well. You know, the staff were just right. and very, very mixed, like all different age groups, all different sizes and shapes. And yeah. so it was really, it was really fantastic. You said that in, in producing the, the collection or in the development of it, you, you were back and forth between Australia quite a lot. And so you spent a lot of time in the galleys, really understanding what they did and how, you know, what they needed and how they did it. And I loved that. I really did get to see the, you know, behind the scenes and because they knew that what I was doing, they loved it as well so they'd really talked to yeah. me about it and so we did also very specifically go on trips because of all of the different aircrafts that there are right the dash eights which are propellers you know tiny aircraft and so it's a very different way of working than on an a380 for example yeah fantastic which even to the point so i also then did the pilot's uniforms uh, a couple of years after doing the students' students, and that was also really interesting. So it actually took me into the cockpit where we got to use <laughs> simulators and fly A3 wow. under the Sydney Harbour Bridge and things like that, which was incredible. 
That is so cool. Was it hard to work with a with like an industrial fabric basically after what you work with such beautiful fabrics? Was that hard to work on a mass scale? No, because I actually convinced them that it was really important to use for one Australian wool. Um, so a natural fabric, yeah. Australian wool, which is famous for being the best wool in the world. And it's the best performing fabric that exists, you know, it's yeah. heat wise, static wise. There are so many loops that had to be jumped through with, you know, everything was so, so tested, tried and tested and yeah. colour and washing and and for me it was just a no brainer that And did you know that immediately? Like before you even went into it, were you like it has to be wool or did you was it from sourcing fabrics and you just came to it? Uh, no, no, no. It was right from the beginning. That was my in my brief. That was one of the main points of my brief was saying that it was really important. You've had so many milestones and you've had such a incredible career. Are there any, is there any other milestone, I guess, that you're reaching for? No, really just a continuation of it. <laughs> a, a slightly more paired back version of fashion <laughs> and to, to be able to enjoy it and enjoy I always feel like you and I, I feel like we went through the recession together also because we were in business together then for many, many years before that. And I don't know, the people that survived that and went through that gracefully and happily came through happy. Um, it's a it's a very different kind of a person. So I, I do feel like I have a different bond with you because I, I feel like we went through that together, you know? No, for sure, for sure. Well, I think, when did you actually open your store? 98. And I had 10 years of like crazy growth and for no, no reason had no idea why. And then complete crash. Like we had never had, we'd never had a bad day before 2008. And then we had, yeah. you know, three years of bad days. Yeah. So then, it, so then it made us feel like, you know, pandemic, we were like, okay, I mean, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but it felt, it just felt more manageable. That first one was just a beast. Yeah, no, the first one was a real shock, I think. And yeah, yeah. I think, it, I think we were better equipped for this this more recent thing and it's it's been interesting actually to see also from our point of view the the type of stores that have really survived as well yours yeah one of them very kind of key stores like yours that are personality stores there's a store that i work with in australia called christine and it's mm -hmm. it's her it's her vision it's her she's you know, and it takes people like you to really maintain something because you know your clients so well as well. That's the rest department. Yeah. Department stores, I don't think, always know very it's, – it's difficult for them to know their clients. But the thing that comes to me from from the recession and the pandemic, like I just wanna, I just wanna work. I just wanna do what I do. I just wanna do it and and enjoy it and and love it. And it's it's not that much to ask, I think, like just to want to to work. <laughs> no, exactly, and that's 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 why, like I said, I've decided to pair things back so that I can enjoy it because I think that there's a certain amount of stress involved in running a mid-sized business. Do you know that it's mm -hmm. different when you have a. A big business where you have a lot of people that can also help in the managing of it but a mid-sized business is really quite stressful because you're having to work very directly also with even just the staff that you have and it's quite yeah it can be quite stressful i think so now it's nice to actually pair that back so that i can enjoy it again i 
can't remember if Australia has proms. Do y'all, did y'all have proms? Yeah, but, oh, you, you, left, you left school at I 15. Left school Wait. At 15, so I didn't get to go to the prom. So your prom could have been was, at the nightclub. I was <laughs> making the prom dresses for all those girls. Exactly. <laughs> Is there a, well, do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite dress that you made? Well, I'm not sure actually. When I look at them now, I'm a little bit skeptical. There was a lot, there was a lot of taffeta. There was a lot of like tulip shaped taffeta skirts with, oh my gosh, I can't even remember. There was a mauve one with black trellis work that I'd done on which was quite interesting. <laughs> that sounds pretty. Well, in Australia, it was quite. We were quite limited with the fabrics that we could actually. Oh, get. really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. There were a couple of there were a couple of stores that would buy from um from Paris labels, but um very very few. Do Do you have a favorite in your second iteration of business in your Parisian <laughs> half? Yeah, there's a couple. I think the I did the Napoleonic coat that I did, which Naomi actually wore in that first show. That's what I was going to yeah, ask. Yeah, that's, that's one of my still key favorite pieces. And it was red? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And yeah, in the show it was red and, and then I made them in black and gray and you know, various different colors. But yeah, that always sticks in, sticks in my mind. But there's been so many of them that it's hard to, it's really hard to pick one. Yeah, I couldn't pick one. They're they're all my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, thank you so much for um, for taking an hour out of vacation. <laughs> my pleasure. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song "Someone So Enchanting" was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. Please follow us on Instagram at What We Wore Podcast for additional content and show updates. Queen City Podcast Network.com. Oh.